What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. I am Chris Ryan. I am joined as always by Sirit Sohi. What's up, Sirit? How's it going, Chris? It's going delightfully well in my neck of the woods. My neck of the woods is right to the left of Ben Simmons's left shoulder. That's where the woods are. And uh, we have a fun show today. His shooting shoulder. <laughs> Which is it the right shooting arm, though? That's the question. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the rule changes that the NBA is implementing, or rather some of the referee guidance that they have doled out today. Monty McCutcheon doing a, a scintillating press conference that Sirit listened to and that we've talked about a little bit. And, you know, the terrain, the landscape of the NBA will look different this season. And I think that that is an interesting conversation to have, especially since we've kind of talked the Ben Simmons thing to death. Uh, over the last couple of weeks. This week, obviously, we had some some Woj tweets. We had Doc going on first take. My opinion, such as there is one, has not really evolved that much. I am starting to feel like he, Ben Simmons, might be a sixer for longer than people initially anticipated. Um, Sir, have you had any like revelations about this Ben thing? Have you have you had a had a, a change of heart, a, a, a calling? You know, I'm very much I'm at the place where my heart is really just not in it anymore. Uh, but what? So why do you think that uh, that he's going to stay a sixer? Well, Doc Doc's appearance on first take aside, I have found I've noted with interest the Sixers absolute stone face silence on this whole thing. So Doc Rivers obviously went on first take. He said that he had mis- misinterpreted when he was uh, quoted after the game. Um, where he was asked, you know, can you win a championship with Ben Simmons as a point guard? And his answer was, I'm paraphrasing Doc, although I'm sure Doc would get mad that I'm paraphrasing because this is sort of his point. But to paraphrase Doc Rivers, he was like, I don't know the answer to that question right now. He's saying he was like, I'm freaking out a little bit. We just lost. Like, give me a second to think about everything. Everybody else in the planet 
interpreted as, no, we cannot win a championship with Ben Simmons as our point guard. So fast forward a couple of months, Ben Simmons and the Sixers, their relationship has obviously fallen apart. There have been increasingly, uh, you know, I would say high level media reports about Ben Simmons' dissatisfaction with the Sixers. Woj tweeting this week that he intends to hold out, that he does not want to play another game for the Sixers. Um, I, I just have a feeling like, I have a feeling like that they're the Sixers are just gonna hold the cards that they have, and they're not gonna take a Kawhi esque deal just because Ben Simmons is unhappy with the way the offseason went for him. So yeah, I mean, I don't really know where the story goes until we get some Daryl Morey state of the team talk when training camp opens. I'd almost argue that Doc. You know, Doc's explanation only confirms to me what he felt to be the truth because he's basically saying that the moment was just so chaotic and I hadn't, you know, had a chance to think about it that I just said a thing. Mm -hmm. Usually when that happens, it's the thing that you actually think that yeah, God is yeah, telling yeah. you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you might not have intellectualized why that is yet, but, uh, you know, it's probably what he was feeling in those moments. I'm sure it was similar to what Joel Embiid was feeling. Yeah. Joel yeah. has since come out and said, I want to play with Ben. I want to win with Ben. I love our team. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that the fact that it has been a one-way river of information mm -hmm. kind of coming from the clutch area suggests to me that the Sixers are either waiting for a domino to fall or are just like, you know what? Like playing with an unhappy Ben Simmons is better than playing with a happy... TJ Warren and Malcolm Brogdon or whoever it is this like the return package would be so we'll see what happens there also obviously I guess it's worth mentioning massive upheaval in the Minnesota Timberwolves front office um that one really escalated quickly in the words of Anchorman uh Gerson Rosas was let go from the Wolves yesterday and in this uh preceding 24 hours a lot of stuff came out about the state of that front office the vibes coming out of that front office maybe some uh inter-office consensual adult relationships have been have been discussed so really not a lot to get into just there like Sashin Gupta is going to be taking over the front office for a little while the Wolves had been rumored to be a Simmons destination um, although they had also been rumored to have been withholding most of their major assets so I don't know if that changes the Wolves calculus or the Sixers calculus or anything but any any Wolves thoughts? I think we could kind of dive deeper into franchises and crisis in a later episode, though. Yeah, I'd say, you know, whoever, I mean, first of all, I'm I, I'm curious to see how much uh, power Sachin is given uh, to actually make like a big move like that. Uh, if he is empowered to, then, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen next. I have no idea what his appraisal of Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell or or anybody else on that team is and like those are those are obviously like the two major pieces so I guess we'll see what he thinks about them but I mean to me it just kind of swings back to the same issue of like why it is so hard to find a trade like Anthony Edwards is fantastic he's not going to be your championship piece right now so you still need to find a third team and if it's D'Angelo Russell that you're getting for Ben like he's still on that tier of guys that like they could probably trade like I'd probably rather have CJ McCollum who I would assume is is is, is gettable at this point um so I, I don't know I don't know how much has actually really changed sure um but if they do I mean it could get really ugly if they decide to keep him around um 
they can't find him quite yet. I think he's already he's already received like the installment of his salary that he's going to get up up until like I think like the year only has like a quarter left in it, which is going to be way past. Like I, I, at that point, I imagine he will no longer be a sixer. So if he really does decide to hold out, then I don't know. Like if they're willing to weather that early storm and wait to see, like is Portland going to fall apart? Yeah. Um, or, you know, I guess, you know, s- stuff has already gone down in, in, in Minnesota or the Wizards going to fall apart. Is Beal going to become available? I mean, this, I don't know. I it just, it's easy to say like, okay, just wait it out. But I mean, training camp opens in a week. There's still a week uh, for, for them to, for them to trade him. Um, we'll see. I'm, 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 uh, I don't know. I'm, I still feel like we're exactly where we were. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's talk about something that has changed, which is the rules governing NBA games. Now, uh, basically, this is not a secret. We've been talking about this, or this has been out there in the ether that the NBA's competition committee and that the referees, were all the stakeholders and how the game is played, we're going to get together. Uh, and today, Monty McCutcheon, like I mentioned, who works in the league office and works with referees, came out and gave a press conference with a lot of video uh, evidence to play calls that he was going to, that the, the NBA competition committee, that the league office was going to be recommending that the referees change their sort of attitude about, change their refereeing attitude. Sir, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the things that are going to be different uh, in games next season? Yeah. So basically, like what we're going to see is just like a lot of no, what they are calling non-basketball moves are going to be legislated out of the game. Like, I think we kind of intuitively know what all of those are. Like, it's unnatural moves. It's like, you know, jumping ahead to take a jump. Like, if you would take a jumper going up and down, um, jumping ahead is not a natural movement. It's an attempt to get into your defender, what is considered uh, your defender space, right? Um, and I think that's really, like, what the what the crux of this is about. It's about os- offensive players trying to get into spaces that are intended to be, to like belong to the defender in order to put them in a position where they can easily draw a foul or just like makes it impossible for, for them to play defense. Um, so yeah, to me, it's really just about space. Um, like whether that's, you know, exaggerating a pump fake, um, like going, going ahead on it, um, you know, veering to the side when like you were clearly going straight just to get into like the area that the moment, like the, the area that the defender was clearly running into. Uh, so there's, it's, it's really just a lot about, um, how those things are going to be interpreted and, you know, just allowing defenders to defend, uh, you know, this, we had a, a banner season for offense and, uh, this seems to be like the the natural or I guess unnatural. It is a it is a rule that has been imposed on on the sport uh, response to that. Yeah. So I thought it was really interesting. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend anybody go dig up McCutcheon's press conference, but I, I, I think it's worth noting that one of the things that he said as in his sort of preamble before he started taking questions, basically, he gave a statement, took a, like one or two questions and then started getting into specific examples of the kinds of basketball or non-basketball moves, as Sir said, that are not going to be allowed this this season. Now, when he says they're not going to be allowed, what he really means is we're not going to call these as defensive fouls anymore and at a certain point it might actually be an offensive foul but I think that there's going to be a lot of sort of open to interpretation for each referee as to whether or not you feel like that's a non-call that's an offensive foul or in some cases that is still a defensive foul I think that there will be probably all sorts of things going on but one thing that McCutcheon said that I wanted to kind of jump off of here 
because uh, what we're really trying to answer this week on the answer is is how will these rule changes affect the game? McCutcheon pointed out that they basically like the point of NBA basketball, the point of basketball is not to maximize offensive efficiency. It's to make it basically like the sport should be fair for both sides of the ball, for basketball, and for offense and defense. And that, you know, everybody loves seeing like the high octane offenses, the scores, scoring is inflated right now. And that maybe is good for the entertainment value of the game. But right now that there's basically too many punitive actions being taken against what is still traditional, quote unquote, good defending. Is that a pretty fair assessment of what McCutcheon said? Yeah, I'd say so. And I think this is actually like one of the situations where um, it's rare that this happens. Like in the history of, of rule changes in basketball, like most of the changes have happened to, you know, encourage more offense uh, or, you know, like, I mean, I'll take us through like a kind of brief, like history of, of, of rule changes in the game. Like basketball, I think I, we said, I said this on the last podcast when we were talking about the Hall of Fame was invented so that, you know, players... Or, or ath- like, you know, any athlete, any person would, uh, I guess probably men back then, though, uh, were, uh, would have a, uh, a winter sport that they could play uh, that was nonviolent. And, but it's still a contact sport. So in any contact sport, like a lot like soccer, um, you have to then balance out, like, you know, ga- maintaining the game's essence with, like, the natural aggression that happens with competitiveness. Um, and like that is essentially what's like been happening with basketball since it was invented from like fouls up until, you know, you know, the invention of the three point line, you know, the, the, the bad boys pistons were the reasons that we now have flagrant fouls to, you know, this, uh, but the rare thing about this is that this is one of the few instances in which, um, offensive play is actually taking away from the entertainment of the Mm -hmm. game. Uh, so that, that to me is like really interesting. Uh, and I don't actually know that this would have happened if not for that like if it was just a case of like offenses are just scoring a lot and it's really entertaining and the game is flowing that's one thing he said too like he wants a sport to you know look like the sport but the the flow is important alongside the balance so this is this is more a uh, an attempt to maintain flow to find a sense of zen anybody who's watched basketball in the last two or three years has lost that sense of zen like Mm -hmm. it, it is there's like a weird like nitrous hit when you get more than three possessions in a row going back and forth down the court and there's not a stoppage in play. Now, some of that is mm-hmm. just, you know, like the athleticism on display in the court and maybe some of the uh, tactical fouling that happens where it's like a, a team just understands like, well, it's better to take a foul here than to allow a breakaway dunk or whatever. And we can get into that because that drives me absolutely out of my mind. But I do think that it's worth mentioning, like like what you're saying is like, if you watch basketball and, and this isn't necessarily all going to be targeted towards Trey Young or Devin Booker or Chris Paul or James Harden or any of the many players who have started to or Luka Doncic or anybody who's sort of mastered the dark arts of getting other guys to make contact where they weren't intending to do so. Um, I think that it really has sort of like on a on a on a cumulative level decrease the amount of entertainment that's been a part of the game exactly what you're saying ironically since the scores are out of control the individual statistics are ballooning and it it should be what is considered like an offensive renaissance right mm, i was 
very poorly timed. I'm sorry, that was my bad. I, I could tell you were drinking yeah, water. Okay. I should have just kept vamping. Sorry, <laughs> I Isaiah, we'll go back. I thought you had like two more sentences at least. <laughs> my bad. Three, all good, all good. two, one. Um, sorry, what'd you say? I said basically like it's just ironic that like at an age where like so many of the, of the offensive statistics are so inflated and like the scores are running up that we're actually like maybe having less fun watching basketball. Yeah, yeah, it is like it's it's not like it's surprising. Um but it's also I mean like it's interesting to me that this is just very much a product of of like players reacting to rules, like players literally watching the tape and uh and you know dissecting the rule book um like that's just kind of that's a part to me that's like the most fascinating about it which also like makes me really interested in seeing like what we see next as mm -hmm. well so who do you think are the players that are going to be most affected by especially then the the unnatural basketball movements or the non-basketball movements that are going to be starting to get reverse policed here yeah. i guess i mean i guess like you know, we know the obvious ones, uh, James Harden, Luca, Trey. Uh, but honestly, and the reason that the NBA had to step in is not like necessarily that those guys are doing it, but that because it was like such an effective thing that it became adaptive um, and like everyone started doing it. Uh, like like the, the video examples that they took us all through, like it includes like, you know, Paul George, Lou Dort, um, Dylan Brooks, like you know, RJ Barrett, like pretty much any, any perimeter player. And another guy who I think will be impacted a lot by this is, uh, is Embiid. Yes. Uh, like in, so there are going to be big men. Uh, Jokic will probably be affected, probably not as much as Embiid, but he like really, I feel like the last two off seasons and a lot of players, the last few off seasons have spent a lot of time trying to, you know, master these new tricks that, like, you know, a guy like Harden or, you know, like, like came up with, I guess, right? Um, like, he is probably the the origin of, of all of this. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's everyone, honestly, just because, like, it's not like they nipped this in the bud, like, a couple of years ago, right? Like, it's right. been going on for a while. Yeah, I, you know, this is the sort of, like, a larger philosophical conversation about just because we can't do something, does that mean we should, right? So, um, I think that I'd be curious to know whether NBA players, like in a kind of uh, blind survey of NBA players, like whether they would be like, yeah, like basketball kind of sucks right now. Not that I think basketball sucks, but if they would have been like, the game is choppy. I get called for ticky tack fouls. I don't like the fact that I know that if I want to just like stop short and throw my butt out or stop short and jump diagonally, I can get a guy into foul trouble and then go to the line and then like stop the play and then maybe get, you know, two shots there. Like, I wonder whether or not this is something that the NBA is listening to, whether it's its television partners or just sensing the groundswell of sort of complaining on the part mm -hmm. of the um, part of the fans or whether this is something that they are hearing from coaches and players. Because every one yeah. of those coaches that's complaining about it probably has a player on their team that does it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this impacts like every every team that I thought of that would benefit from this also has players that would uh, that would have to change their style as well. It's really um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's kind of like when you take the idea of like, hey, like just because we can do something, should we do it? And then you put it into a competitive arena. Um, it just kind of changes. 
Uh, because that that question becomes answered immediately, right? Like it's it's always yes um, mm-hmm. if it's something that will impact the game. So I imagine I imagine there's probably players that are probably a little bit happy about this. Just the fact that you know if you look at if you look at trying to draw a, a three point foul, but like for example, right? Like that is the most efficient play in the game right now. You get like a guy like Trey Young or Luca, like good free throw, like you know Luca a little bit less, but like if you get a good free throw shooter. Um, three, three free throws. That's just like that's the ultimate win in a possession, yeah. right? Like there is nothing that any of these players, whether it's like Harden or or, or Trey or or KD or Kyrie or Paul George or Kawhi or any of these guys can do to to change that essential fact. Um, so I think I don't know. Like I think fans are annoyed, but I imagine that just like what we see next from players will also just be like more exciting too. Yeah. Do you think that um, flow-wise, because that's obviously, I think, aside from honoring maybe like a sort of competitive spirit of the game, because you're like, well, that contact would not have been there had you not jumped into this guy diagonally. Do you think that, let's say they start calling these offensive fouls, like that's not going to help the flow of the game, but that may make the game more fair. Do you think that there's going to be like basically a learning curve for referees in implementing this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually something that they were like they were anticipating. One of the things that was like really interesting about the uh, about the press conference, uh, Monty McCutcheon said, uh, "Let me find it." Visual syntax. He called it visual syntax, but that's basically just like it feels to me like your mind um, slowly learning to process uh, specific movements, and like you know the refs are now being asked to reinterpret. Uh, movements that they've been seeing going on for like the last few years, right? Uh, so they started their training on that already. I think like they do it with video. I imagine in um, you know, you know, like there will be a difference in how it looks and how it feels when they actually get onto the court. Uh, but yeah, like that's part of what they're anticipating for sure. And it was interesting because like he compared it to how teams are. Like he kind of said like, look, like we all study the tape. Um, we all want to be really good at this. Uh, and a lot of it just is information processing. It's like being able to make an instinct move. Like that's essentially what basketball is too, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, the problem with that, I guess, is, and this gets into sort of how we watch the sport, is the technolo- technological advances that we have made in sort of perceiving basketball. So when we watch a game on, on TV now, it looks drastically different than the way it did in 2002 when we first started seeing instant replay on TV. I think that uh, the first instant replay used in the NBA game was in um, a Western Conference Finals game, a Lakers game, uh, in back in 2002. And then it has slowly sort of like become the common language of watching sports is this sort of slowed down, very, very micro zoomed in what actually happened underneath this guy's body? What did the ball last touch in the microsecond before it crossed the plane of out, out of bounds or a touchdown or what have you? Did the ball cross the plane of the goal in a soccer match? And we get like so, so, so invested in that. And I think that that's kind of like a governing principle of like what's happening in sports right now where you are on this like quest for a greater like the the truth about it or like what is capital R right? Like who is the right champion this year? And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. the Lakers have an asterisk. The Raptors have an asterisk. The Bucks have an asterisk. I'm sorry to fans of those teams. I'm just saying that that has been talked about because like had those injuries not happened, this would have been a Lakers year, a Nets year, what have you. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that the call, this idea about getting these calls right starts out from a right, you know, the good place of like, we want to get the call right. We want to know if this guy actually catched, caught a ball. We want to know whether or not this guy, the shot went in before the clock went off. And then you just start to get into where the sport itself is this debate about a matter of microseconds rather Mm -hmm. than like watching athletes compete with any kind of like rhythm, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The nature of winning thing is uh, that we're all like kind of starting to explore, right? Is like really, especially with how much like COVID has changed uh, the landscape of the league and like all leagues really is interesting. Like, because you can give everybody an asterisk, like Lakers bubble asterisk, right? Like mm-hmm. Raptors injuries. Um, you know, like the only like if you go back, obviously, like you know, it's easy. It's easy to give the Bucks an asterisk, right? Like every single team can be you know like their their journey can be analyzed and and discredited in some way and i feel like that's often what is used to like as that that's like why we have these discussions but like i feel like it's really just a commentary on the fact that like winning just involves a lot of luck and we just shouldn't take it as seriously as we do but then you know none of us would be here so yeah i mean <laughs> I guess it's a question about whether or not you would ask. I mean, I take your pick of some like Western Conference playoffs series from like the Kobe Shaq era or like. The, well, you know, it's like, funny that they did it in 2002, right? Like, right. I imagine if there was I'm like, I wonder if there was a reaction on their part to 2001 Kings Lakers mm-hmm. series and all the controversy that came after that one. Right. So and and. I'm sure there are, every local fan base will have like a memory that's seared into their collective brains about like a mm-hmm. series or a play or a game that was rightfully theirs if were it not for it. It was taken away by like this guy made the wrong call in the wrong time. Personally, like when I'm watching basketball, I don't really think about a bad ref call for more than a minute or two. Like I think about... What about when you're watching the Sixers? No, honestly, like, really? well, I mean... I'm trying to think of like a really controversial Sixers call. There, you know, one thing that I that c- comes to mind a lot is just like the fact that I think that the quest for getting these calls right, and these this is slightly different than whether or not like Trey Young should or shouldn't be diving and like kicking out his legs or not. But w- in the quest for getting these things right, you spend so much time on it that you actually suck the joy out of any justice from it. Like I'm not like yeah. oh great, I'm glad they like glad they really reverse that call. That was like five minutes ago. I mean, you and I did like green rooms during the playoffs where like we would be on the air waiting for like the refs to finish deciding whether a game was like over or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And like, if there's anything that like we don't want to be more than mad, it's like bored while mad. (laughs) Yeah. That's not a good place to be. (laughs) Um. I would much rather it be like incandescent because a ref blew a call. Mm-hmm. And then, like, let my naturally disintegrating memory, like, take care of that feeling. Then have it be for five minutes. We're going to watch, like, Matisse Thibel's finger on a ball. But then mm-hmm. maybe Malcolm Brogdon's finger was on a ball. And it just kind of, like, who touched it at the last possible, you know, fraction of time before it goes out of balance. Like, that to me is not watching sports. Yeah, no, it's it, it's not. And I think we also like it's ironic that like the replay has also gotten to this place where because not everything is replayed, um, you often get calls that wouldn't happen if they if in any other scenario that would be called out of bounds in some cases. But like, you know, when you tap 
the ball off of somebody else's finger, it usually hits their finger first, right? Like that stuff is just yeah. like, yeah, but you know, it's kind of like in any playground that's out on the person who tapped it out. You know what I mean? Unless there's like somebody bobbles it or something like, you know, has real contact with it in between. Speaking of all this end of game stuff and, and just the extension, did, did McCutcheon get into end of game, like review re coaches challenges and like what will be reviewable and what won't? Um, you know, speaking of disintegrating memory, I have to admit that in a, in a press conference, I was very detailed and over an hour, I did have moments where, you know, I zoned out, I zoned out, zoning it's okay. out uh, is something it's, that I do It's honestly, often. it's the human factor that I love about this podcast. We're not robots. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Unlike the replay machines. Um, uh, just kidding. Those are also run by people and therefore flawed and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't think they did, is what I will say. Okay. Uh, but it would be funny if all of this just led to more replay, except like the replay is going is like, hey, did Trey Young, you know, stop in earnest or did he veer out of his natural path um, to to get, you know, a call on Matisse Seibel? Yeah. You know? Yeah, right. Do you think this is going to lead to a defensive renaissance in the NBA? Like, I do hope you so. think, yeah, do you? So, like, do you think that? Um, are there any specific defenders that you think will be like back in business or like, you know, is Tom Thibodeau going to be like reestablish re himself? I mean, I guess he already has, but as like the defensive mastermind of his era, like, are there, are there like teams that you think on offense will suffer more greatly aside from the individuals, but like mm -hmm. that who rely on this kind of chicanery? Yeah, I, I imagine that, like, everybody in the league, like, Tom Thibodeau is just making me think, like, everybody in the league is, like, the Alonzo Morning gif where they're first pissed, and they're like, oh, yeah, because, you know, he's, like, part, part of him is, like, oh, yeah, defense is back, and the other part is probably just, like, man, like, Randall's, like, now we just shaved five, five or six points off of his average with uh, right. with this, too, right? So, it's, I think, I think, um, defenders, though, obviously have reason to be happy. Like, they are allowed to play defense, Um you know, I don't. I wouldn't say Matisse Seibel, for example, is somebody who is would be on a re renaissance because that would not be respectful to you know the the current uh, the, the sans mm -hmm. that he is on. Yeah, uh, he's he's somebody I thought of. Uh, Dylan Brooks is somebody I thought of. The Memphis Grizzlies in general actually are really interesting because like they foul a lot. They're young, Brooks and Jaron Jackson were like in the top five of fouling. In, in the league and a lot of it especially Brooks like in the playoffs fouled out of games uh, because Donovan Mitchell took advantage of the fact that he was over aggressive came off of screens paused and then um, you know allowed Brooks to bump into him before taking some of these sh shots uh, some of those won't be fouls anymore not mm -hmm. all of them um, and that's where the rules get kind of interesting and I'm like so for example that one um if Donovan Mitchell comes off a screen and he just pump fakes straight up, he's good, right? Yeah. If he pump fakes to the side, like has become common and is now considered one of those unnatural moves, um, and he is then like kind of in Dylan Brooks' natural landing space, that is an offensive foul. And I wonder... Like, I'm curious how much offensive players will actually continue to do this. Um, and I think it'll probably depend on, like, how seriously it's called. Like, if you do actually get an offense foul just for the attempt at a grift, um, that probably just takes, like, the 
the benefit out of it to even try. And I think that's what the league is, is hoping for. Like one of the things I asked is like, you know, how do you measure success? And, and Monty said that essentially, you know, like when moves like that happen, um, you know, the, there is like a, there's a group of 15 guys, like basically former refs, like guys that we kind of know of Joey Crawford, et cetera. Like he's the name that I remember, but like, you know, names that we all know of that are like, you know, that help advise. And he would take successes like, getting those plays down to a place where like there's just less there like you know there's there's like two or three of them a game that they're analyzing as opposed to like 15 um so you know that's that's like where there is like I'm just I'm like curious to see how offensive players I guess react to it and there's like a ton of guys that that goes for yeah you know I I kind of always probably wrongfully assumed that part of this I mean obviously like Trey Young has a very unique style of basketball and like Mm -hmm. I think I've grown to really appreciate it and and quite like it when he's not playing against Philly. But like you see some of the stuff he's doing and a lot of it might be actually just like the difference of his body type to the people who are screening for him and the people who are chasing him through screens or switching off of screens to defend him. And like, so there was a lot of plays that I saw cited as like Trey Young kind of dark arts where I'm like, yeah, but really that's just like a dude kind of like peeling around a screen and changing his te- like his speed a lot mm-hmm. like that's not necessarily him like trying to gum up the works of the flow of basketball that's actually like just his like his movements this is just like yeah. you can't really like keep his like whole thing in a box right yeah they actually showed one that was really interesting of that was just exactly what what you described um and the point that they made was it was it was a shot that would actually end up still being a shooting foul for Trey where he came off of a screen, um, had Raul Nato in a in a cage, um, and he paused, like he was going straight and he stopped, right? And Raul was running right behind him and he bumped into him. Mm-hmm. That is a case of Trey Young has naturally stopped, like to take, to take a look around. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He stopped because it, you know, it's another thing they said. Like, they can't, you know, like if a player wants to stop, he wants to stop. You don't get to interpret why, right? Um, he has naturally stopped, like, in the direction direction that he was going, and NATO happened to be in that direction, and he bumped into him, right? Uh, there's another case that they showed of Steph Curry moving laterally um, so that he could get in the pathway of the defender who was chasing him but that defender was actually in correct position. Like he wasn't going to, like he was in a position to not, you know, steamroll Steph if Steph, Steph stopped. Um, and actually the, the analogy they made was essentially like either, you know, it's a foul if you get rear-ended by somebody. Just like that it is an accident. That is a person who is, you know, driving uh, behind you's fault. Uh, but if you change lanes right as somebody is about to like stop, you know, where you where you now are, like that is not that person's fault. Uh, so that's yeah like that's kind of like the way that they're looking at that one so there's actually like if you look back at that Sixer series like there's still times like even with these rules that he would have annoyed the hell out of uh, out of you out of Sixers fans out of like you know Danny Green Thibel anybody else that had to had to chase him around yeah there was a I think if if I remember correctly that was the series where Trey Young was like in uh like full fast break stride running down the court with the ball and just Mm -hmm. like I, I think actually had like a pretty clear layup and just like stopped short on a dime and Dwight Howard mm-hmm. uh, like leapt over him, but also like tumbled into him and brought him down with him as he like tried to hurdle Trey Young 
Yeah, this is like another thing that's kind of interesting about this is like there's a lot of contact on those plays. Like it's like, you know, you can it's easy to say that this is like a because I, I imagine the injury question was going to come up. But then I, I thought about it and um, and hey, it might have come up. Disclaimer. Sure. Um, the uh, like a lot of these plays that players were making, like they're pretty dangerous, you know, <laughs> like they're not they're not exactly built to like protect the offensive player. Like the alternative of like, you know, then of like not stopping in your tracks and just going to the rim and trying to draw a foul is probably going to garner the same amount or less contact uh, or than, uh, you know, what they're doing where they're actively, like, trying to get guys that are, you know, big and strong and, and moving very fast to bump into them. So the thing that I was going to say when I brought Trey up before I got distracted by my own kind of, like, bit of reverie about him going around screens was that I was always kind of on, operating under the assumption that some of this stuff about looking for contact and trying to especially get the type of fouls that you pointed out, the getting fouled on a three-point attempt, that that was somehow being uh, passed down from analytically-minded front offices, which now mm-hmm. at this point would be all the front offices pretty much. And, you know, in the original sort of moneyball conception of advanced analytics, there was this idea that it was smaller market teams trying to level the playing field with big market teams by looking for competitive advantages wherever they could, you know? But that that has since sort of resulted in in baseball. You've just got regular infield shifts where there are just got you can no longer really pull the ball because there's just five guys standing on one or three guys standing on one side of the infield. And in basketball, it's this overemphasis on threes and free, free throws and getting one or the other at the expense of pretty much like, you know, any normal fans like kind of enjoyment of basketball. I wonder whether or not like those same front offices that might, let's just hypothetically say, be like, hey, man, if you're going to go up like and you can get a little contact, make sure you get a lot of contact so you can go to the line there from the three point line. Like, do you think that there's like, what's the zag here? Like, do you think that the analytically minded front offices might be like, okay, now that the rules are like this, this is how we should start defending or this is the kind of shot we want. Do we think we'll see more like three level scoring now, like back to the mid range? Maybe that's a that, that's interesting. Like I could see if it becomes less advantageous to just be in the paint and try to trick guys. Well, first of all, I think we're just going to see more shots, right? Like we're going to see less pump fakes. We're going to see like guys just straight up pulling up. Uh, but I think I mean, we, it could kind of lead anywhere. I think the biggest change would probably just be like defensively. Like you can just be more aggressive. Yeah than before and I think that's great for like every defensive team right because I I was wondering did you ever think that like part of the reason why this was happening was that defenders were trying to compensate for this new waterfall of three-point attempts so like I'm just going to stand closer to this guy to try and make it harder for him to shoot a three-pointer I'm not I'm not going to play off of him way up anticipating a drive I mean assume that he's going to shoot three so then when I play closer there's so much more incidental contact because he can come down and it can look like Mm -hmm. I'm in his landing zone when in fact I'm just guarding him tightly. I'm kind of curious whether or not we'll see any kind of evolution in like perimeter defense essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine we will. I think like, you know, hand checking will just be more common because that that's one thing where, you know, like the, the hand checking rules now as they stand, it's, you know, if you impede somebody's progress while they're hand checking, it's a foul. But it's not naturally just a foul for hand checking. Like you can you can reach in and stuff. Like it's not. But the thing that happens is that when you reach in, um, guys hook you, and that's another thing that's going to be out of the rules. Like you can't you can't hook a guy and and keep him with you. Um, but if you do that, 
and you're moving, so they do actually like impede your progress, that's actually going to be a side out. Like you can't hook him and then just go up for a shot in the way that like Harden does. They used a used a Paul George example as well. Right. Um, that's kind of like that became like the new rip through after the actual rip through stopped being allowed. So that's another. But that was uh, that was another adjustment to the fact that that was like a thing that you couldn't do anymore. Right. So it's, it's so funny know, that man. there is like a like in my garbage bag, it's like all these like bullshit moves that I have outside of like, I'm in my bag, like, like all my footwork moves and like all these like incredible, like playmaking moves. But it was like, then there is the, like, I will hook your arm and drag mm -hmm. you with me. And then like gesticulate, like I just got my rib broken. It, it, mm -hmm. I always hated that one. Oh yeah. It's the worst. I, it's, it's funny. Like, yeah, there is the bag and then there is like legitimately like the garbage bag. And like for a while we were, I think, I think players were too incentivized to, to pull deep into their garbage bags, which we shouldn't be doing, guys. We should be closing them and, and taking them outside. Yeah, and then, um, and when in, you know, when possible, recycle. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. What didn't they address? What would you like to see change that we didn't change? What's a rule change that you feel like the NBA is begging for but didn't do? Um, like I, I'm always gonna have the same answer with this one. Uh, charges. I don't care for them. I don't like them. Um. Okay. <laughs> Especially the uh, the the one on one defender on a, a defense charge is is different. Like if you are, you know, just playing really hard defense and you're staying in front of a guy and they just absolutely pummel you, like that is you know that kind of veers into that football tackling territory actually. So I I get that, but like the stepping under a guy, like the you know off ball defense uh, the charge, the, it just the Marcus Smart rules. Marcus Smart, Draymond Green, like you know guys who are you you know like. Yeah, smart's a grifter, right? Like, obviously. But, like, it's become everyone. And it's it's actually, like, it's a way that, like, greater players in the league survive. So I don't know if it, like, needs to completely go away. Like, I like the fact that Kyle Lowry is, like, more valuable because of this. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's really dangerous. And also, like, why are we now, like, some of the, like, the, the coolest dunks ever just don't count as points. Right. Uh, that is not okay with me at all. Uh kind of along those same lines, I, I need these clear path fouls to go away. So I understand that they are uh, an effort to, you know, not give up breakaway dunks, not give up transition points, that there is probably so, like a pretty easy equation to do about, especially if you're in the bonus, like foul a guy, send him to the line. It's, you know, at least there's a chance he might miss a free throw rather than get a transition bucket. But I feel like it is robbing us of like 75% of some of the most thrilling moments in a game, mm -hmm. which is when there is this turnover and a team does get out on the break and it, it, and you get to watch great playmakers going downhill and orchestrating a fast break bucket. Like, I don't know why we're taking that away from basketball, you know? Yeah. And I think that um, tactical fouling like that, like I, I understand like why coaches do it and I understand why it's preached and I understand why it's taught. But I do think that, like, that's a real, like, can you look at yourself in the mirror after doing that moment? Now, I thought it was particularly interesting that I noticed this more during the pandemic season more than anything. And I think that that is... Transition baskets are the things that, like, kind of like the lifeblood of seeing a game in person. You know what I mean? That's, like, mm -hmm. where you get that wave of energy going through a crowd when there's a steal and guys break. So... I really think that like the league is crying out for more 
transition scoring in that way. And I wonder whether or not like that's going to be something they have to address sooner or later. Because like if you just have a lot of like, oh, and he grabbed him at the half court and that's over. That that yeah. cool, that cool play did not happen. It would very much um play into their desire to have flow in the game and that being like an important part of it. I almost wonder if we should just like there should just be a rule or like a you know an interpretive change. We could call call it the Chris Paul rule. Where every time there is a tactical foul, every time um, a player or a coach is using the rules as opposed to the rules being like just existing as like this framework um, that they don't like control, um, it should just it should just not count. Like you should like, like any anything anything. Oh, you want to foul a guy. Uh, when the other team is down three so they that they can't get up a three-point shot fuck you no you're not doing that like all of it all of it because like, i think i think like the best version of basketball that you see in a game like in a in an actual gymnasium um usually corresponds like pretty well with pickup rules mm-hmm. and i think pickup rules are basically just like don't be annoying well it's like you know like pickup rules are honor system you know what I mean? Like, I understand exactly. why we cannot have call your own fouls in the NBA. But when you make people kind of govern themselves and be like, if you're going to call that, I'm going to call it on the other end or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, like it's it's a lot more equitable or you have a fight. <laughs> I mean, look, I would be a great button on this thing about like basketball being a contact sport that needs less violence. Um, kind of takes us away from nonviolent winter sports, which is the (laughs) origins of the game. Um, I think it'll be really interesting. Keep an eye out. Like sometimes it's hard to find reasons to watch preseason other than checking out rookies and stuff. Like keep an eye out because I think Monty McCutcheon alluded to in the preseason, we're going to start to see these things start being instituted, start being rolled out and, and checking out like and seeing like how, what what players seem mad about this? What players seem to be excelling despite this? You know, like what's Trey Young going to do when twenty five percent of his moves are now banned in the NBA? Like what? Like how are guys going to evolve? How are guys going to change? I actually think that Trey, you could call these the Trey Young rules. I think he's going to be fine. Like I think he's a really creative player and a a really like inventive like shot maker. That like he doesn't need to do this. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some some statistical shrinkage on his part, though. Yeah, the interesting thing is that, like, this does impact the higher-level scorers because, honestly, a lot of these moves just take creativity and they're very difficult to to pull off in the moment. And they also kind of, like, require you to have a certain amount of leeway. Um, so I think, like, aside from, like, the stars, the other players who will probably be impacted by this the most are just, like, the straight up-and-down shooters who are mm-hmm. just not going to draw those fouls anymore. Uh, but, yeah, watch for it. Watch for what the players do, too, like, in terms of just their their adjustments. Watch for defensive players. I think, like, one of the things that was asked is, you know, like, how do you deal with flopping now? Like, if if offensive fouls are going to be called more, you might get more flopping. Like, you know, just any, any rule change um, has unintended consequences i hope that the intended consequences are are fulfilled and that we just don't see these types of plays in basketball anymore but there will be other things that happen as a result of this too yeah i I mean we talk about flow of the game i think also like the competitive spirit of the game or just like the the vibe with which the game is played is is also something i've noted in Mm -hmm. the past especially with guys like luca who really browbeat officials 
which I is totally part of the game. But the, some of the guys who are going to be affected most by these rule changes are the dudes who like to have the most uh, expressive dialogue possible with referees <laughs> Yo, throughout the game. That. So like <laughs> Chris, Chris, and Trey, and Harden, and Luca, who are in constant contact with refs, letting mm-hmm. them give, giving them their feedback in the suggestion box. We could see some some teas. We could see some ex, you know some some ejections. Or maybe we could see them just be like, I'm turning over a new leaf and I'm just going to stoically play my game. Stoic, Luca. I love it. Well, we want good vibes this year. That's all. Yeah, let's hope. Good vibes basketball. Sarah, we'll be back next week. We'll probably be hitting on the Wolves as that story evolves, you know, pending some Ben information. I hope you have a great weekend. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Answer. We were produced by Isaiah Blakely this week.